0: .NET Rocks, episode 1380, with guest Anthony Brown. Recorded Thursday, November 3rd,
1: 2016.
2: Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here for another hour of .NET goodness and all things not .NET. You know, it, what's occurred to me lately, Richard, is mm-hmm. the term .NET has changed, you know, what it points to. It's a symbol, and it points to something totally different than it did just five years ago.
0: Oh, no kidding. Yeah, well, I and mean, we've been doing this show for, holy man, yeah.
2: <laughs> 14 years. And it's funny, people still call me a .NET guru. But really what you know what that means is um you know a C sharp VB net developer that can go anywhere. My code can run anywhere. I guess, yeah. I mean yeah. don't forget F sharp. Like they're they're Yeah, they're, I only know C sharp and
0: VB though. There's that, yeah. So there was also Eiffel.net back in the day. Oh, there Cobalt. was a list, net.
2: actually. Yeah. Yeah. But it is funny how perceptions lag Reality, yeah. And well, the,
0: the, you know, the fundamental change here is we were always presented as any language, one platform, Windows,
2: and now it's a couple of languages, every platform.
0: Yeah, what? Well, at least three big ones.
2: Yep, that's right. Well, uh, let's get started with Betternoa framework. All right, dude, what do you got? So, if you're like me, Richard, you probably have a few entities on Azure. You're crazy. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Crazy talk. Who, who would do that? Who would think of that? But uh have you ever tried dissecting your Azure bill? No. <laughs> That's now talking crazy talk. So <laughs> you can download a spreadsheet of microcharges, essentially, and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. No, because it's, unless it's, you're deep in the internals of what these things are called internally and in the services and how much they're how much they charge you for usage and storage and all that stuff it's not going to be um, easy to understand. So uh, one of the guys in AppVNext brought this to my attention. I can't remember which one. I'm sorry, guys. But it's a website. It's an online tool that lets you track your Azure spending, optimize your costs, and govern your finances. And they claim that you can save at least 25%, maybe even up to 50% on your Azure bill uh, every month. So if you go to azure-costs.com hmm. and I believe this is, this is a paid service, but you know, if the net result is you're saving money, it's worth talking about. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, uh, of course this is show 1380. Can you believe it? I can. So, uh, if you go to 1380.pwop.me, pop.me, that'll get you there as well. And uh, I, I haven't used it, uh, like most things I talk about. Uh, they're interesting to me. But I would like to know if anybody out there is using it and if it actually works for you. It looks like it's um, something I should take a look at. Well, not that my Azure costs are outrageous, but my customers' uh, Azure costs, they're always looking to save money, of
0: course. There's also a piece here just about empowerment, to have a third party looking at your numbers.
2: Just yeah, so that that's have, just it.
0: Yeah, some yeah. confidence.
2: Yeah, that's just it. I I like the idea that some third party, like you said, who's not Microsoft and isn't a competitor to Microsoft is actually looking at your bill on behalf of you and saying, oh, you know what, you could trim some fat here. That's interesting. Cool, yep. man. Nice find.
0: Yep. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1317, the one we did back in July this year, 2016 with Paul Stack. When we we're talking about cloud infrastructure, right. and this particular comment comes from Chris Berthold. And Chris says, I totally agree that platform as a service is a great option, but I still believe you have to have those who understand what it is doing under the covers. It doesn't matter if you're using NoSQL or SQL Server, CQRS or straight CRUD, end-tier versus hexagonal architectures, synchronous HTTP versus async, message queue, brokering, understanding the hardware underneath helps you make good decisions towards problems. This is always true, right? Mm. It's the same way with the .NET framework or anything else. Mm. If you don't understand the plumbing you're sitting on, you're just asking for trouble. True. Uh, And Chris goes on to say, Take the example of the AWS load balancer and HTTPS to port 80. A load balancer's job is to make sure that requests terminate successfully to a server. It has a data timeout. We'll usually retry if the timeout of the data coming back is shorter than the overall request timeout. This results in two requests if you have a long-running request. The first one will be successful, and the second one will say data has already changed if concurrency or transactions are used. Mm. This is really easy. If you understand how load balancers work, can be really hard to figure out if you've never used a load balancer before. And, of course, the beautiful thing here is you only run into this when you hit that time limit. So you won't hit it every time, right? If you've, got a, if you've got a service that's running right on the threshold there, sometimes something weird will happen. Sometimes it won't. So I love this example because I have been tormented by such things. Yeah, Azure service fabric is awesome, but only we have the people that understand the actor model. As you lose those experts, you lose some of the capability for platform as a service to provide as much value. I prefer to be open to teaching as much as I can, but no lingo bingo is my reward. (laughs) I like the lingo bingo. Yeah, lingo bingo. I mean, Chris, I don't see this as special to Azure or any other cloud service or anything else when it comes to complex development. You really do need to know what's going on under the hood. And if you don't respect that, you're going to get burned by it. It's, and it's I've, been always been a challenge. I've
2: been saying that since we started this stupid show in 2002 when wizards were all the rage. Yeah. And, you know, the, if you don't understand what your wizards and tools are generating, you you really shouldn't be running it.
0: Yeah, and and it's it's a totally valid point. So this also, you know, if I if I read into this says the cloud and azure are not silver bullets, right? They you right. still have to be responsible for what you run. Yeah. No amount of public computing can compensate for dumb. <laughs> if you do dumb things and you make bad choices and you don't understand what's going on, you too can still be wrecked. The yeah. cloud will not save you. Yeah. Uh, regardless, Chris, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug.
2: I think that's good advice in general. Don't be dumb. Be awesome. <laughs> you know? I guess that's true. <laughs> Just be awesome. Everything will be fine. And uh, definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And, uh, you know, send us a tweet. They toast up nicely. <laughs> and uh, spoken from the guy who doesn't eat bread anymore. There right? you go. Yeah. Well, uh, let me introduce our guest today. Anthony Brown is a consultant working at Compositional IT, where he helps companies build and deploy cloud-ready applications built using functional-first techniques and technologies with Azure and F-Sharp. He's mostly interested in problems relating to IoT, distributed systems, and big data processing. Anthony is a big fan of writing systems that just work with the minimal amount of effort. Hey, don't we all? He's also the author of the book Reactive Applications with Aka.net. And when he's not writing code, Anthony can usually be found in the cricket nets, or enjoying all that London has to offer. Tweet him at BruinBrown93.
1: Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hi, Col. Hi, Richard. Hey. How's it going over there? It's, yeah, getting into winter now, I think, so. Uh... Yeah, yeah. We're going to be
0: there in January at the Excel Center for NDC London, you know, because it's the nicest time of the
1: year to be in London. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic time of the year. Great conference as well, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you have any comments on the comment? Comments on the comment? Comment Richard read? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely understand that a lot of people are kind of hesitant to take on platform-as-a-service solutions, given that you know, there can be this sort of lack of understanding of what's going on under the hood. But at times, platform features are fantastic for just knocking up a really quick and easy prototype just to validate that an idea is something which could be run with in the future and potentially end up you know providing significant amounts of value so whilst having that underlying infrastructure is a great thing sometimes you just need to be able to ship something quickly and get it out there to see whether it's going to work and i think platform is like the tool for that
2: well, I, I also think it's the tool for a lot of production. And the reason I say that is because um I think they do a good job in Azure is what we're talking about here. I think they do a really good job of giving you just enough control, but not m- making you get down into the weeds, right? And I, that's what I like yeah. about it. I, I think that it, it's, I, I've never hit a roadblock using uh, Azure Platform as a Service that I couldn't overcome just by going into the dashboard and clicking a few things.
0: But I do, I'm not going to disagree with Chris here either, right? He did need to, un, you do need to understand the platform you're running on and how it's going
2: to behave, or you're never going to be able to diagnose problems. Correct. Yeah, but your problems should be in your code, not in Azure's code. And that's, and they do a really good job of shielding you from their code. I tend to agree that the issue
0: is like, and I think this is exactly what Chris described so well was A load balancer doing what a load balancer is supposed to be doing, and you getting two messages instead of one and wondering, what the heck is happening here? Like, there's no errors. It's just behavior you didn't expect. You do need to understand how the platform behaves. All
2: right. Let's talk about uh, search engines in Azure, Anthony Brown. Why would you do this? Why? Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I mean, why would you not, right? So it's Fair enough. (laughs) It was there. It, it was one of those scenarios, you know, you got slightly irritated with Google and then you find yourself shouting at your computer, how hard can it be to make something that works? And before you know it, you're thinking, well, I may as well write a search engine. How hard can it be? Now, when you say building a search engine, are you talking about searching
2: within your little domain of applications or are you talking about an internet crawler like Google?
1: So I was talking full internet crawler. You know, I was trying to find out okay, something. Okay, now you're crazy.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't you just built a garbage collector? Wouldn't that have been less painful? I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it's Saturday morning. You get that text from a friend that says, sorry, man, I've got to cancel our plans. So you, you start looking on Google on what to do. You can't find anything. Google starts being pedantic about your searches and everything. So you get irritated and you think, I could build my own Google. It can't be that difficult, right? Like all Google, <laughs> all Google is, is like one text box in a screen. Like how
0: hard <laughs> <text box> is- <laughs> Okay. From a UI perspective, I'm totally with totally you. Totally
1: with you, man. How hard can it be? I mean, there's only so much stuff that can go on behind that, right?
2: Right. And, you know, I, th- I think what I hear you saying is that the, the annoyance factor just got too high. And by annoyance factor, I mean, you know, paid for ads at the top and things that are silly, you know, in the first couple of pages and not being able to find what you really want until page three, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you want to hide a dead body, the best place to do it is in the second page of Google search results, right? (laughs) Because nobody ever looks there.
2: So wouldn't it be easier to do a Google search and then just
1: filter out the crap? I mean, that'd be the easy way, right? But, <laughs> but that's like, not where's fun. The fun in that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love this guy. This is great.
0: <laughs> we want hard problems on our Saturdays. Yeah.
1: exactly. Exactly.
2: I'm kicking back with a shanty, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I need something to do because there's nothing on Netflix right now. Then figure that one out. There's always something on Netflix. And, you know, I think I'll just rewrite Google. There you go. Yeah. And and uh, and if I understood correctly, you did this with Azure
0: and F-Sharp.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I picked the things that I'm most used to using, which in my case happens to be as ZRNF shop and then tried to see what I could hack together in as little time as possible. All right, let's
2: dive in. Um,
1: How'd you do it? So, basically, I gave myself the weekend. That was it. I said I'm not <laughs> spending any more time than that on it.
0: Cuz <laughs> as I, you do.
1: As you do, right? Wow. And it was ne- it was never going to take a priority. Yeah. It, it came about because plans were cancelled. So, if some new plans came up, you know, I might have been it might have been put on the back burner a bit, but <laughs> I like I'd seen um, a few tweets about Azure Search earlier in the week and thought, sure, that that looks like it'll do some of the search stuff that I need. Uh, the clues in the name, really. Yeah. So, so thought, what does that do? Let's, let's I, give it a go.
2: What does Azure Search do?
1: So Azure Search is basically um, managed search service i get a http endpoint and i can send it a bunch of documents and say index these and then i get another http endpoint and i can just say give me some documents back that look like it might match this search query huh which is basically exactly what you need in a search engine so like so you, that was all, all you really was to it, d-
2: right? so all you really do is curate the the results and do you send it documents or do you send it links to documents
1: Uh, So I send it documents themselves. So I strip out or I download a file, strip out all of the content that I think is important, then ship all that up to uh, Azure Search. And the great thing is I can say that certain things have more sway in a search ranking. So I can say things like the title of a web page. If that contains a certain string, then that is more important than if the body of a different page contains a certain string, so, which makes it it's, which makes it ridiculously easy to uh, do search, basically.
2: So let me get this straight. Not only are you picking the sites that you want to catalog, but you're making copies of them. So you're making a copy of the internet in Azure. Yeah, kind of, kind <laughs> of. <laughs> okay, just so we're on the same page. Hey, tell me
0: you're an MVP and you've got like $150 a month in Azure, so you're not paying to store your own copy of the internet.
1: That was kind of one of my restrictions as well. I do have some <laughs> Azure credits in my MSDN account. Right. So that was, that was the other constraint with this project. Everything had to fit in those Azure credits. Nothing could go over it.
2: So if I had these constraints and I wanted to do something like this, I would, and I was throwing documents up there, I would want to put my documents up there. Right. But then again, um, you know, if you have, uh, Uh, Office 360 or you have Google Documents that's what it does you you put documents up there and you search through them
1: exactly exactly so this was looking more at the more public internet and finding out you know curating as much stuff as I possibly could to try and find better content than what Google manages so you know easy problem really (laughs) and what were your results do you use it well so, I you know, there's a lot more of there's a lot more infrastructure around it than just Azure Search. There's tons of stuff which is powering the entire search engine. Okay. There's things like uh, Azure Web Jobs, which are continuously pulling down new pages and scraping on a daily basis. There's uh, service bus queues to find new or to distribute the new pages down to the scrapers. Uh, I've also got an embrace mm. cluster set up, which is sat and once every day at like two o'clock in the morning, it runs the entire page rank algorithm on whatever I've found so far.
2: Wow. Okay. So does that mean you're constantly going back to the documents that you archived and checking to see if there's any newer versions of them in updating?
1: Well, one of the great things about Service Bus for me was that it's got duplicate detection. So you can say, if you get two messages within a given time span, just ignore the second one. So it turns out that you can set the message ID to be literally anything you want, which makes it really simple to do duplicate detection of websites. So in cases where you've got website A that links to B and then back to A, and back and forth like that, you don't really want to be indexing those constantly or pulling them down constantly because you'll just end up like effectively DDoSing somebody else's website, which is never a nice thing to do. Uh, so by using Service Bus, it meant that I was able to just cut out a load of the infrastructure that would have been required to stop myself from scraping the same pages constantly.
0: And I don't imagine you went so far as to actually read the robots text file off the site to see what they wanted.
1: Absolutely, I did. Yeah. Oh, you did? The great That's thing cool. about I did. Because I did. the great thing about F-sharp is writing a parser in F-sharp is one of the easiest things you can do. It's a few lines of code to just define an entire parser for this robots.txt file. And then it's just a case of, checking to see whether the page that I'm about to scrape exists in this file. If it does, then I ignore the web page. If it doesn't, then I can go right ahead and scrape. Wow. Yeah, so are you talking about type providers? No, so this is just uh, the basic features of FSharp. Right. This is just using discriminated unions to uh, specify all the possible tokens that exist within uh, a possible File and then pause, and then using those tokens to uh, basically work out what I can and can't scrape.
2: So, based on your MSDN subscription and all of that, uh, how many documents are you able to keep in your archive?
1: So, currently, I'm relying on the free tier of Azure Search, which gives me, I think, about fifty thousand documents, which. It, you know it's a pretty large amount, especially when you can scope that down to only running through certain websites etc right and only running certain pages or running certain domains through it right, so that gets
2: back to the idea of filtering filtering out stuff and uh, that that seems to be where the real value is here
1: yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the sort of problems that I've found when using Google was just trying to find the right sort of the actual right domains. A lot of like big domains in Google get quite highly publicized because of things like page rank where everybody links to them. But I think there's, you know, a lot of stuff on the internet that's actually quite valuable. that gets hidden away in like the second, third or fourth pages of Google search results that nobody ever actually sees. Interesting.
0: You could almost build this alternative search, So that it doesn't show those first items.
1: Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, But obviously, productizing something which went up against Google would be an insane decision, right? It's something that nobody would do. Yeah. Like, oh, there's that.
0: I'm I'm hoping this is just an academic exercise for you. It's like, can I write this? And, you know, can I make it fairly efficient? And what kind of results can I get?
2: I can see the value in it, though, because if you, let's say, let's say that you do have, you know, an Office 360 account and you have a Google Docs account and maybe you've got some stuff on another cloud and you want to search across all of them. This is a perfect way to do that. I mean, I can't imagine 50,000, even 50,000 documents would, would be a limiting factor at that point.
1: So, I mean, for me, it started out as a purely academic thing. And I think that was given away by the fact that several times during the actual development of it i was sat there thinking i could i bet i could just google how to do this (laughs) which is like i mean that's never a great thing to say when you're trying to build a search engine that's (laughs) that's competing against google right
0: yeah that's both meta and recursive (laughs) exactly yeah oh my god hey richard (laughs) Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? I uh, it must be that happy time again.
2: Yeah, it's time for me to announce that Anthony's search engine doesn't work. Oh? I'm serious, Anthony, because, you know, I searched for Carl Franklin's best joke and it came up with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't even find my second best joke. Couldn't even find my worst joke. <laughs> all right. Actually, in all fairness, it's time to give away... A Music to Code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. If you haven't heard, Music to Code by is a set of 25 minute Pomodoro sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. It'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans all over the world are being more productive with Music to Code by. And now you can download the entire 13 track collection for only 39 bucks. Check it out at by dot net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Stuart Hallows. Congratulations, Stuart. It's all clap for you, sir. A round of applause for Stuart I, Hallows.
0: I, I heard a little pre-clapper there before you actually said the name. So.
2: Well, yeah, maybe my clapper's got a little, a little overzealous. But they were, uh,
0: they were wound up. Yeah, they were wound up. You gotta of, be careful with that pre-clapper. I know. There's yeah. a cream for that. Jeez,
2: is that how we're starting the day? <laughs> this is how we're doing this. So, uh, let's see. Let's see. I'm sorry, so totally just derailed l- you. So, just a little aside, um, in a Facebook community that I, uh, have started for the, um, uh, ketogenic diet purposes, um, I also advertised music to code by on that podcast to keto dudes. Mm-hmm. And one of the admins, I, I gave it away to all of the admins on that, uh, site. And one of them, uh, used it to get rid of her migraines and oh interesting and swears that it was the music like she c- couldn't get rid of her migraine by any other way she put on this music and by the end of the first one it was pr- practically gone wow that's really interesting isn't that weird i mean it's probably a coincidence i can't it's almost a meditative thing i can't I claim to
0: cure migraines but no i, I wouldn't claim that that's unwise
2: that'd <laughs> nah, be wi- unwise yeah <laughs> but it is an interesting story Absolutely. So Stuart Hallows wins a Music to code by Complete Collection. And uh, if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .netrocks fan club. I kind of got a feeling I know what it's going to be this year. But let's ask Anthony. Anthony, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy?
1: $5,000 to spend on technology. Right. So I'm kind of torn on this, right? Because on the one hand, like the new iPhone has been out a few months now and I've still not got one. But I mean, that wouldn't take me up to the full $5,000. Right. So I could probably get no, no, like No, it's
0: only the price of your soul. The uh, the money's oh, the Lord. On. Oh, did they say that out loud. That's not right.
2: <laughs> Richard's in a
0: mood. <laughs> <laughs> now, you can't spend more than about a grand on a, on a on a smartphone, really. Yeah.
1: But I mean, it, you know, it still gives me a bit of extra on top. So I mean, there's always the potential to get like what a week's oh, worth. Oh, I know.
0: You could buy So you could buy the Apple adapters. That'd take out the 5 grand no problem. <laughs>
1: I was going to say like a week's worth of AirPods. I think, you know. Oh, one for every day of the week? Nice. Well, I mean, they're not going to last that long in my pocket, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what about the
1: um the Surface Studio? Have you did you see that? I did, yeah. Surface Studio does look nice.
2: Very pretty. Yeah.
1: Very pretty.
2: Yeah, I'd like one myself.
1: I was going to say, I don't think you could really uh, go wrong with getting one of those.
0: Yeah. It just seems like an artist device, right? Like, the, you know, uh, I've got a web comic artist in the house. So, you know, in theory, that would work for her. She does have
2: the Cintiq, which is supposed to be better than. It's definitely a recording studio device. That's yeah, I, how I, see I see you it. doing that. Yeah. And a live sound management.
0: Yeah. Well, it's almost like it's the Star Trek console, right? Mm-hmm. That you could put it down in that posture and then... It's all touch, and you can display what you need to on that. Totally Star Trek. It's it's a Star Trek console. So, now I'm tempted by it. But it's pretty expensive for a Star Trek console.
2: Right. And, of course, it's not using the latest and greatest technologies like the GPU is a generation old, isn't it? Yeah, the GPU is not top
0: of the line, and it's got a hybrid hard drive in it, which I'm just – what are you doing? Right. Like, why why would you do that? Just go SSD. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway. But – it, uh, you know what? I want the screen and I want the arm system. I'll build the computer. I can do the computer, but. Right. Give me that, that screen.
2: Well, uh, Anthony, let's talk about some of the practical uses for a tool like this. I mentioned, um, you know, if someone wanted to use this in the real world, not just as an academic exercise, I can see the value in searching across multiple domains where things are located within the enterprise, right?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, tons of different cloud providers now who give you, like, tons of storage, but there's nothing that really works across all of them.
2: And why not add local storage to that as well?
1: Exactly. The amount of documents that I've got hidden away in random files on computers that I probably don't even know about anymore is, like, ridiculous.
2: Yeah, and I love the idea of taking all that stuff, crawling it, you know, put a little crawler on everybody's hard drive for their documents, give them a place, their public documents anyway, and uh, give them a place uh, in Azure to put them, and and there you go.
1: Definitely. the uh, The other alternative, of course, being that once you've written the systems which find out which page people are going to be on Google... All of a sudden, you've got tools which can help people get their web pages up to the first page of Google as well. Okay, well, well. It doesn't necessarily have to... What do you mean by that? So, ultimately, like search engines are a recommendation tool. Right. Search is a recommendation problem of finding stuff that you think might be of interest to people based on certain parameters. And so, once you've written the systems which can find what search engines think you'll be interested in, you can then extract those components out and create tools which allow people to see where their website is lacking because it doesn't meet up to certain parameters that Google expects, for example.
2: Oh, I see. So it can help you with optimizing your own SEO to be... exactly. To be redundant, that's, yeah.
1: That's another potential usage of it.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it. It's like understanding SEO by actually building a tool that depends on it. Of course, that means you would understand the Google algorithm, which I, as I understand is like a big secret. It beats the heck out of Kentucky Fried Chicken.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of iterations and improvements on the algorithm over the past 20 years or so. But the original PageRank algorithm is still available in a paper through Stanford's website.
0: Right, which is where this all came from.
1: Exactly. So there's even full papers from Stanford explaining how Google was implemented 20 years ago, which greatly simplifies the work of anybody who wants to go and build another search engine in competition with them.
0: Yeah, it's just, you know, uh, there's so much voodoo around the SEO thing because the algorithm is secret, so people don't game it, even though they still try. And I kind of like the part about you know, that how many people link to your page matters that that it's you have become a reference work that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really helps you find the pages that people do actually care about and share most right. rather than those which are just sort of set up in a bit of a haste because the blogger has got something that they really need to get off their chest, for example.
0: And, uh, and you know, search terms are always important. I think every one of my most popular blog posts had an error code in the title because that's what people search on. You know, when you search on that error code, you get to a blog post where I got this error too. Here's how I fixed it. Like you've really actually helped people. Like that's sort of that moment where I'm like, okay, this all works the way it should.
1: Yeah, definitely. When you get one of those obscure exceptions from like a SQL Server database or something. Yeah. And you search it into Google, and your first result is an exact blog post explaining how to fix it.
2: Ah. Yeah, that's a good day. (laughs) So I imagine Stack Overflow is pretty high on your priority list.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Stack Overflow is definitely a great source of uh, info there. And a few obscure search terms to search through as well.
2: So maybe we should ask
1: you what other sites make your top 10 list. Uh, top 10 list of sites. So it's definitely got to be Twitter for one right up there
2: Mm, based
1: on just the amount of information that people share through it. Some of it good, some of it, you know, not as good, but there's still tons of information in there.
2: And links to resources.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Same scenario with websites like a blogger as well, Mm. where you've got just tons of people's content. And I think when I first started writing coding blogs years back, Blogger or Blogspot, as it was then, was the first platform I used. So there's tons of great information out there that anybody can find easily. But finding more websites with a lot of in-depth content can be quite difficult. Mm -hmm. Websites like Archive for academic papers they don't have the greatest UIs in the world and it can be quite difficult to find the things that you're interested in. So that's why there's been tons of websites built on top, which basically just do search on top of this great database full of information. In terms of the rest of my top 10 websites though, okay, I'm not really sure I have a list of top websites that I tend to use on a day-to-day basis. Mm. It just tends to be whatever I discover and what rabbit hole I get taken down as a result of that first link click.
0: Yeah. I I know you're a fan of ACA.net. Does it play a role
2: in
1: this? No, there was no ACA.net in this at all in the end, which feels a bit weird to say. No ACA
2: developers were hurt in the development of Anthony's search engine?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like ACA.net should be an ideal fit for it. Yeah. In that when it comes to writing a crawler, right. it's just a case of creating like a single actor per URL. And then you can massively simplify the development down there by letting actors deal with all of the concurrency problems rather than letting service bus deal with it. But ultimately... The project started out really as a learning project to to see whether it would be manageable to write a search engine in two days. And ultimately, the tooling that Azure gave me with all of its platform features was the simplest that I'd got. So it was just a case of using the tools available to me to get it done in as little time as possible rather than pigeonholing myself into one specific way of thinking as might have been the case if I'd have just gone straight ahead with Acre.net.
0: Yeah, right. It's got a particular way. But plus, I mean, F-Sharp's parsing abilities are so powerful. And in the end, this is more about parsing than anything else.
1: It's about things like information retrieval from text documents that exist all around the world. Yeah, right. Where you've got to deal with different languages, different encodings. You've got to deal with people who haven't, you know, really got much experience with writing HTML, so might not have perfectly valid HTML as a problem. And before you know it, you've got a lot of stuff to deal with and never
0: question. Well, let's go down the spa rabbit hole, right? Here's a page that has no content on it until it's loaded dynamically. Parse that.
1: Exactly. It's like for search engines, it's a real problem because. Oh, yeah. Well, what what do I, what's your actual content? What do I allow people to see in search results?
0: Right. Well, and you also get into the game of people packing their pages full of words that are never displayed anywhere, but are
2: good search terms. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. annoyance number.
1: It's It's kind of like when you're a student at university and you've got an essay to finish off but you're not quite <laughs> at the word count yeah. that's right uh, so, so,
0: so i finished saying each- 350 words and the professor wants 1500 words
1: yeah. yeah so you fill up your last lines with words written in white text on white paper
2: <laughs> or it's kind of like if you have a podcast and you basically figure out the gist of what the user is saying in the first 15 minutes and you have 45 minutes of filler Who would do that? Nobody does that. I can't imagine that. Hey, as long as we're being meta. Yeah, okay. That's not this show. This is
0: complicated. That's
2: right. It is complicated. We need to keep talking. (laughs) I'm, I'm sorry.
0: Should we jump back on Azure Search for a little while? Because it does feel like this is a solved problem that there are platform tools for.
1: Yeah, so Azure Search has been, like, the driving factor in actually being able to manage this. Right. I I ended up doing, you know, enough research to be dangerous on how search engines work. Yeah. Um, But not enough to know the pitfalls when going into them. Hmm. But by using Azure Search, it was like, there's probably some people in Redmond who can deal with all of the problems which I might encounter. Hmm. So I'll just let them deal with them. Because why would I want to deal with the problems like that?
0: So then the bulk of your effort is purely focused on the parsing part, you know, going off and actually spidering the the web and they're dealing with the storage and organization in the indexing part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's basically a case of the thing that I needed to focus on was the thing which makes search engines relevant in that it's that case of, doing the information extraction, picking out the relevant content, and then indexing that as easily as possible.
0: Right, and they, and they take on all that. Because I'm pretty sure Azure Search was not built for what you're using it for. I'm, I'm just going to guess.
1: I'm pretty sure it wasn't, no. But it turns out that it's got a load of really cool features as well, which can help with indexing, which I didn't know about until way too late. Nice. So it, tur- it turns out that I can just fill up like documents into blob storage and point my Azure search setup at this blob storage account, and it'll just pull everything in automatically for me.
0: And when you say blob storage, you're meaning like document DB?
1: No, I mean actual Azure blob storage. Oh, so- wow. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I can just fill it up with, like, HTML documents and PDFs and everything else. And Azure Search will automatically pull everything out of that that it thinks is relevant and then index it for me.
0: Ah, nice. Yeah, very nice. So It's always a question of how you're assessing relevancy.
1: Exactly, yeah. In this case, it was me trying to figure out the best ways of indexing the documents in Azure Search for me. But for a lot of people, if they're just wanting to like get a very basic search overview of a bunch of documents that they've got stored across their internal network, if they can just upload them all into Azure Blob Storage, a few minutes later they've got the entire thing searchable through Azure Search.
0: And it's not like you can just pass the HTML file to Azure Search and expect to do a good job. Otherwise, it's you know the most common word is going to be you know angle bracket p angle bracket
2: (laughs) (laughs) so i got a question for you and maybe a couple questions one uh if you had more time and resources what features would you have added or what else would you have done
1: so one of the things i'd quite like to do is i don't know if you saw recently the microsoft research project that came out where they did the like relevance graph okay Of terms which are relevant to certain things so for example you've got this ranking of company software companies etc and using this new Microsoft research graph if you were to say Apple computers it would categorize it as a software company whereas if you were to supply Apple it would categorize it as a fruit. Yeah. So it uses the surrounding context to better work out right. what right. it is you actually mean. And so that's got great potential when it comes to search engines for when you do things like, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the skyscrapers in London, they've all got silly names, yeah. whether it's the cheese grater or the walkie talkie or the gherkin. I had a friend who searched for the cheese grater on Google and then was surprised when he was greeted with pictures of actual cheese graters. Sure.
2: (laughs) But you know what though, in the search you, uh, you learn to add a little context in your search phrases, you know, cheese grater skyscraper London, you know?
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, that was the way to fix the search, but, If I'm searching for the cheese grater, for example, is it more likely that I'm going to be looking for a proper noun of the cheese grater rather than a cheese grater? You could also... As just the common household object.
2: You could also find descriptions of uh, cooking videos or a recipe or, you know, pick up the cheese grater and grate the cheese.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of potential for misunderstanding when it comes to computers, definitely.
2: I agree. Context is everything. And just keeping a little bit of a memory for a certain amount of time. And when I'm doing this kind of programming, I think about how long things, we allow things to exist in context before we move them out of our conversational context, right? I mean, we're always surprised as humans when somebody continues a conversation that started two hours ago and ended, you know, almost two hours ago and then just picks up where you left off. And you can usually tell from cues. Oh, they did a context switch on me. But, um, you know, if, if you're having a conversation, let's say with a bot or some sort of engine, don't you think it should keep a couple hours worth of context around? just so that when it doesn't understand something, you can go back through those contexts and say, ah, this must be what they're referring to.
1: Oh, yeah. I've I've had this plenty of times when you do those increasingly frantic Google searches which try and target a very specific web page. Right. Where you start typing one thing and then you just keep adding words onto the end of it until you get something which might take you where you need to be.
0: Yeah. Right. Because corollary is also true that you you in the middle of a in the middle of a conversation somebody switches context
2: unexpectedly now you want to forget everything you were talking about or right. you, or just bump it down in priority
1: yeah and as you say with the new influx of bots that we're seeing everywhere all of this relation to context is going to be massively complex for right. computers to even understand and as developers for us to build stuff that understands this potential context as well in what people are asking
2: so my second question is are you making this uh, an open source project
1: it's currently on github um it will be open sourced as soon as i do the whole stripping out any of the uh, keys which could let people compromise my entire azure account
2: gotcha because i think that's
1: probably the best probably Uh, a
2: good idea yeah that might be a
1: thing so i'm I'm hoping to do one final push towards an open source release of it to just let people play with it and see whether anything ever comes of it.
2: <laughs> and where should we watch to see this uh, uh, project show up on GitHub?
1: That, that would be on my GitHub account, which would be github.com slash Bruin brown.
2: Bruin brown. Well, wow, that that feels like the end of the show. I would keep talking, but you know we don't need to. So I guess we'll stop here, unless there's anything else that you want to talk about, Anthony.
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I think what focus on is your search, which is good.
2: Very cool. Well, I, you know, it started out as kind of being funny, and you know, we actually got. Uh, through quite a few things that have become valuable. So congratulations. That's awesome. And uh, I don't besmart you any of your time spent on this project. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. And we'll see you next time on .Net Rocks.